they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January the 28th, 2022. And let's begin this hour with the Angelus. It's 12 o'clock and we should be pray the Angelus, try and pray the Angelus three times a day in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, yet done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O most holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to ask the angels to join us here. We'll pray the Sanctus together. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth. Pleni sunt celia terra, gloria tua. Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini. Hosanna in excelsis. Welcome again on this Friday, January 28th. It's the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas the greatest mind in the Catholic Church. And God may raise up others who surpass him at some point in the future, but for the moment, um, St. John Paul II told theologians they need to go back to studying Thomas. <laughs> you see, there's a reasonableness about our Catholic faith. Our Catholic faith doesn't ask us to check our intellect at the door. As a matter of fact, God gave us the intellect. We're supposed to use it. We're supposed to reason with it. I was reading a book recently, a part of it. I started reading it. I wanted to know what it, what it said because the title caught my eye. And, and the, the author was saying that the Catholic faith is unreasonable and it's illogical and it's insane and it's crazy, but isn't that wonderful and great? And I'm thinking, I don't know what Catholic faith he's talking about, but he's certainly not talking about the Catholic faith revealed by Jesus Christ. You see, God made us in his image. Remember in the beginning, God made them male and female in the divine image he created them. And God is reasonable. So he gave man the ability to reason. Now, our faith, we can't reason to faith. We can reason to the knowledge of God. Without faith, we can know that God exists. But without faith, we cannot know who God is in himself. We couldn't know he's a trinity of persons. We couldn't know that the second person of the blessed trinity became man. We need faith. We need God's revelation for that. That's why we have the scriptures. And, and that's why we have the second person of the blessed trinity become man. But in all of that, God is showing that man should use his intellect to learn and reason. 
God put it in our hearts to desire him. And we're supposed to use our intellect to come to the knowledge that he really exists. And then we get down on our knees and beg him, reveal yourself to us. And of course, we have the scriptures. We can come to know him through the scriptures. We have the Catholic Church through which Jesus Christ entrusted to his church the sacred deposit of faith. That is everything that he wanted us to know. And that's, it, it's the scriptures. It's the living tradition of the church and the church's magisterial teaching. And so this is, this is we can follow our reason. And what's interesting is that the saint of today, Thomas Aquinas, you know, some people think it's very difficult to read the Summa Theologica. No, it's not. It's not difficult, except that it's methodical. It takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of discipline of the mind and of the heart and of the body because you have to be very methodical to follow Thomas. Easy to follow. Okay, if you read the Summa Theologia, you have to remember when Thomas, you know, starts out with the objections, those objections are not his argument. Okay, you have the objections, you'll have a, a statement, you'll have the objections, and then you have, I answer that. And then he explains his position, and then he answers all the objections. Okay, so if it's too confusing, look at the statement skip the objections, go to, I answer that, and then read the rest of it. But Thomas is using his intellect the way he's supposed to, to pursue the truths that God has revealed. God is not his creation. He's separate. So when you see light, you're not seeing God created light. When you see the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars, you're not seeing God. But those lights, those created lights are a very dim reflection of God who is the source of light. Yes, he is the source of light, but he's uncreated light. And he's far beyond the sun. <laughs> you can't look at the sun directly without burning your eyes and losing your eyesight. Just so we cannot see God face to face without dying, unless he prepares us through grace. So we want to talk a little bit about Thomas Aquinas. I have some quotes here in the catechism that come from St. Thomas and his writings. All right. And in one of them, the first one I want to quote is about the natural law. The natural law shows man the way to follow so as to practice the good and attain his end. And what does Thomas say about the natural law? He says, where then are these rules written? If not in the book of that light, we call the truth. In it is written every just law. From it, the law passes into the heart of man who does justice into the heart of the man who does justice. Not that it migrates into it, but that it places its imprint on it like a seal on a ring that passes onto wax without leaving the ring. So the natural law is written in our hearts by God. And we can know it because, you know, part of the natural law, we, we have this sense that, you know, it's wrong to kill. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to tell lies. Even the pagans know that. <laughs> and he goes on, the natural law is nothing other than the light of understanding placed in us by God. Through it, we know that we, what we must do and what we must avoid. 
God has given this light or law at the creation. So God wants us to do good and avoid evil because he wants us to know him. And even Socrates, without the light of faith, came to know that the way to come to know God was to live a virtuous, moral, disciplined life. And in doing so, then he could come to know the God who is totally other, totally transcendent, the source of all goodness and beauty and truth. Okay, he, he understood. If there's order in the universe, there had to be a source of that order. If there's creation, there had to be a source of that creation. If there's movement, there had to be someone who created that movement. If there's beauty, there had to be an uncreated beauty that gave beauty. So all of creation reflects the goodness of God, but it doesn't bring us to who God is in and of himself. But in order to come to know that there is a God and begin to ask him to reveal himself, if we live a disciplined, virtuous life, even the pagans knew. You know, Socrates taught his pupils to live a disciplined, virtuous life, to not give in to all of the desires of the flesh, but to discipline your flesh and live virtue. Well, how did he know what virtue was? Because the natural law was written in his heart. You know, the Ten Commandments. God said, you won't have to teach one another because I will write it on your heart. And he does. So we know, we know. You know, it's like that. When we sin, we feel guilty. Oh, but the church imposed that on us. Society imposed that on us. It was our parents who imposed. No, actually, sin is a real offense against God who is real and who really loves us. So when we sin, we offend someone who loves us infinitely. So the guilt that we feel is real guilt. It's guilt that comes from offending someone who we should love. So, and that, by the way, you know, the psychiatrist, Carl Menninger, he writes about that. The guilt that we feel when we sin is real guilt. And in order to overcome it, we need to turn to God and repent of our sins. So the natural law is important embedded in us by God. He imprints it in our minds and our hearts so that we know how to do good. We know what is good and we know what is evil. So strive to do good and avoid evil and ask God for the grace. Of course, we ask God for the grace because we believe in God. So, <laughs> you know, we go the next step. We want to, to um, believe in God and, and uh, follow his law. Okay, so that's, that's the natural law. Well, what about the idea that we have nowadays that um, I can do anything that I want as long as my intention is good? Did Thomas Aquinas ever write anything about that? Well, actually, he did. He said, an evil action cannot be justified by reference to a good intention. And the church teaches the ends does not justify the means. So you can't just do whatever you want. You know, um, I remember that Jim Caviso quotes, he said, Freedom is not the ability to do whatever I want. It's the right to do what I was made to do. And I was made to do the good and avoid evil. So freedom is not license to do whatever I want. And our ends doesn't justify our means. So we cannot just do anything I want to do because I intend my intentions are good. No. What, what we're... Our end has to be good. Everything has to be good. <laughs> we have to choose good. I'll be right back. More with Bible on the Barbers on this Friday, the 28th of January, 2022.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January 28th. And you won't be able to call in. This is a pre-recorded show. I um, Friday's going to be a, a very busy day. So um, I'm going to be babysitting. So I'm, I'm quoting here from the Catechism Catholic Church. Today is the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. And there are a lot of quotes, a lot of quotes in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And I, again, I encourage everyone to read the Catechism. It's a great Bible study. It makes a terrific Bible study. If you want to understand the Catholic Church teaching or how it views a certain passage of Scripture, go to the Catechism and look up, you know, that doesn't have every passage of Scripture, but a lot of them. And you can understand more deeply the, the, the church's mind. Because remember, the church is the one who gives us the, the Scriptures, the, the scriptures didn't come down to us from heaven in the sense of God dropping a book out of the sky. The Catholic Church is the one who declared the canon of scripture. It was the Roman Catholic Church and the bishops of the church because God gave them this authority. Okay, so we're talking about Thomas Aquinas, and we said that an evil action cannot be justified by reference to a good intention. The end does not justify your means. Okay, that's in the Catechism, number 1759. So the Catechism explains that a morally good act requires the goodness of its object. So the, the, the object has to be good, the goodness of its end and the goodness of its circumstances all together. Okay. So the act in and of itself has to be morally neutral or morally good. And then you have to try to achieve that end with good actions, with good actions. And all the circumstances have to be good. Okay. So walking is a morally neutral act. But if you're walking to rob a bank <laughs> or to beat up your neighbor, it's no longer a morally neutral act. Now it's evil. <laughs> okay. But if you're walking for exercise for health, that's good because that's what God wants us to be healthy and he wants us to exercise. If you're walking to help your neighbor, that's good. Okay. And not all actions are morally neutral. Some actions are always and only and everywhere morally evil. For instance, induced abortion. The killing of innocent babies, the killing of innocent life is always morally evil. That's always a moral evil. Okay, so just an example there. Now, um, we're going to go on here uh, to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. This beautiful, beautiful passage here in paragraph 112 of the Catechism. And Thomas Aquinas writes something about the phrase, the heart of Christ. The phrase heart of Christ can refer to sacred scripture, which makes known his heart. Closed before the passion as the scripture was obscure, but the scripture has been opened since the passion, since those who from then on have understood it, consider and discern in what way the prophecies must be interpreted. Well, you know, what did, what did uh, the, the fathers of the church tell us? They said, well, the Old Testament is, is made known to us. It's opened up to us in the New Testament. Okay? And the New Testament was hidden in the Old. The, the Old Testament talks about Christ's coming. It talks about the Son of God becoming man. And what will it be like? And what will the Messiah do? 
And then the New Testament is his becoming man and showing us everything. So it's the unfolding. It's the full fleshing out of the old. So what's in the old is is obscure and it's not fully open to us until Christ comes. And in his passion, he reveals it all to us. And, and especially what does he reveal to us? His heart. The tremendous love that he has for man. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that all who believe in him might have eternal life. And he didn't just send his only son. His only son comes to die and to suffer, to take on our human nature and to redeem the meaning of human suffering. And this is all very, very scriptural, but it reveals the heart of our God and in particularly the heart of Christ. So the scriptures reveal to us the heart of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thought? So wouldn't we want to be reading? What was it St. Jerome said? Ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. Yeah, I think that was it. Ignorance of scripture is ignorance of, of Christ. So, you know, we, we need to know the scriptures if we're going to know Jesus Christ. And, and no, we don't have to search through um, somebody, I, I don't know, some theologians have said that, well, you know, you have the Christ of history, you have the Jesus of the Gospels, and um, how does that work? And the Jesus of, um, what is it, of faith. <laughs> so you've got three Jesuses, you know, the real historical one that we don't really know. And then we have the scriptures, which tell us something about him, but it's not, it's just a made up story. And then we have the, the Jesus of faith, which is what I believe about him. Well, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. If God is God and he's revealing himself to us, is he going to leave it up to me, to my own mind to decide who he is? Remember I said at the beginning, some people have said that our faith is unreasonable, that it's illogical, that it's crazy. Well, no, the Catholic faith isn't unreasonable, illogical, and crazy in the sense that it doesn't deny the power of human reason. So don't deny the power of human reason. But does it go beyond reason? Yes. We can know that God exists from just from the light of our natural human reason. But could we know that God is a trinity of persons? No, we need revelation to know that. Okay, we can know that God is loving, that he is all beauty, he is all goodness, he is all truth. He is ordered. He, you know, he, he's the source of creation. Those things we can know from reason. But could we know that God loves us so much that he planned on becoming a man, taking on our human nature after we had sinned in order to reorient us back to himself? No, not without the light of revelation. So it doesn't deny reason. It goes beyond it. You know, for instance, the virginal conception, does that go against reason or nature? No, it goes beyond it. The virginal birth of Christ. Remember, the virginal conception is Jesus being conceived in the womb of his mother. It's the moment of the incarnation, the annunciation of the angel Gabriel to Mary and the Holy Spirit overshadows her. And Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the word of God becomes incarnate in his mother's womb. It doesn't deny reason. It goes beyond and it's reasonable to believe it because God is trustworthy. He is the creator. And by being the creator and the source of all truth and all goodness, then he cannot deceive or be deceived. We can know that by the light of our reason. 
If he's, if he's goodness, if he made everything that's good, he can't be deceived. And he doesn't lie. Time flies when you're having a good time. I love talking about the faith. I'm so grateful to God for this opportunity to be with you, to share this with you. I thank all the little radio stations and bigger ones who pick up our signal. Thank you. Thank you for our listeners. Thank you for those who support us financially and spiritually and your prayer. I'll be right back. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January 28th, the Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. So the last quote I want to give you, remember, I'm getting these quotes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Great Bible study. Use the Catechism of the Catholic Church to do your Bible study. It's awesome. Awesome. But... Um, in paragraph 184, St. Thomas Aquinas is quoted, and he says, Faith is a foretaste of the knowledge that will make us blessed in the life to come. Remember in the gospel, Jesus says, This is eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and him whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. I believe it's in the gospel of John, toward the, toward the last supper, it's in the last supper part, or around that place. Anyway, the, the thing is, faith is the foretaste of the knowledge that will make us blessed in the life to come. We walk by faith. We don't see Jesus face to face on this earth, but we believe in him because he's, he is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. And so by faith, we already have a foretaste. But even more than that, in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 11, St. Paul says, now faith is, and the, the translation says, assurance of things hoped for. What's interesting is the Greek word actually means possession of. Faith is the possession of things hoped for. What do we hope for? Eternal life, which is to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And by faith, we already possess God. Not because we've done anything, but that God has given himself to us don't we believe that in baptism, when we are baptized, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When that happens, the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come to live in our souls. We possess God. And that Jesus Christ established the Eucharist as a means to feed us on his own body and blood. That we become partakers of the divine nature through faith, by baptism. And then in the Eucharist, we actually physically receive the risen, ascended, glorified body, blood, soul, and divinity 
of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, under the appearance of bread and wine, if we receive under both species. But under either one, we receive the whole Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And, and the reality is, is when we receive the second person of the Blessed Trinity, there's only one God. So the second person of the Blessed Trinity is united to the Father and the Holy Spirit at all times. So when we receive Jesus, we receive God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They come to us. They live in us. We possess them. So by faith, we already possess what we hope for. That is eternal life. Now, does that mean that our salvation is assured and that we could never lose it? Well, um, St. Paul said, I work out my salvation in fear and trembling. St. Paul says, pray for me that after having preached to others, I myself might not fall away. Now, we know we can lose faith, but we beg God for the grace not to lose it. We beg God for the grace and that if we have the misfortune of sinning mortally, <laughs> which is going to weaken our faith, it's going to, it kills the life of God in our soul. So it takes, you know, charity out of our soul. We can still turn to God and repent. Okay. So we repent of our sins every day. Remember um, my, uh, a priest mentioned recently and he said, you know, we're supposed to examine our conscience every single day. We're supposed to make an act of contrition to God at the end of every day. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for all the sins I've committed this day. And we should be going to confession on a frequent and regular basis. Why? Because what I said earlier in this show, we talked about sin being a real offense against God who is real so that the guilt it produces in us is real guilt. And that comes from a Jewish psychiatrist, Carl Menninger, who says, you know, sin is a real offense against God who is real. So the guilt that you feel when you sin, it's not imposed by the church. It's not imposed by society. It's not imposed by your parents. It's, it comes from the fact that God wrote his law on your heart and he loves you and he's touched your heart with his love and you have offended him. So we can repent of our sins and the church encourages us to go to confession at least once a month. If you haven't committed a mortal sin, you don't have to go to confession. But the church encourages devotional confession. And devotional confession is the confessing of our venial sins. You see, we want to weed sin out of our life because we want to be more and more holy. And God can make us more and more holy. The more we reject sin and cling to God, and we did this in baptism, we renounce Satan. We renounce all his pomps and works and all his empty promises. We refuse to be mastered by the glamour of evil. And we professed our belief in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that his Son became man and was born of the Virgin and suffered and died and was buried and rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and sits at his Father's right hand. And the Holy Spirit and the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body. We believe all this. And this is a gift. Faith is a gift from God. By the way, faith is a gift. If you want it, ask for it. And ask for an increase of faith every day. And not just an increase of faith. Lord, I believe in you. Increase my faith. I hope in you. Increase my hope. I trust you. Strengthen my trust. I love you. Let me love you more and more. God is love. God loves us to the point where the father sent his son and the son came willingly to die for us, to free us from the power of sin and death so that we could live in union with God. 
not only in eternity, but right here in time, that by faith we would possess God. And the flip side of that is that God possesses us. God wants to possess us. He wants, we're his, he made us. We belong to him. He wants us to belong to him. He wants us to be his own. And we are his own. But he gives us freedom. He will not force us. We're free to choose whether to accept him or to reject him. We beg him for the grace that we will never reject him, that we will always be faithful. And as St. Paul said, and I quoted this already, but I'm going to quote it again, I work out my salvation in fear and trembling, or work out your salvation in fear and trembling, I guess is the, the actual quote. But he says, pray for me that after having preached to others, I myself might not fall away. So the idea that once I come to faith, I can never fall away is a misunderstanding of John's epistle, the epistle of John that says, if, we're, if, you know, if, if we are his children, then we can't sin. Well, it's, it's not a moral impossibility for us to sin. But he's saying we shouldn't sin. We should live in his presence. But you know, to do that, we have to struggle against sin. We have to struggle against temptation. We have to renounce temptations and we have to renounce sin when it's presented to us. Remember, the devil's going to make it look real good and real attractive. And so is our flesh, by the way, in the world. You know, our first enemy is not the devil. <laughs> The first enemy is myself. I'm my, I'm my own worst enemy. Why? Because I have a darkened intellect and a weakened will, and I'm inclined to sin. I'm no longer inclined to God. So I have to work hard every single day. And yes, our faith is an arduous task. I remember telling some young people one time, you know, we're supposed to think about God all the time. We're supposed to constantly live in his presence and be aware that he's always present to us. And we're supposed to refer everything to him. And they, somebody, somebody in the group said, that's too much work. <laughs> so I think it was a high school student. And it's like, no, this is what we're called to as Christians, to live in the presence of God, to work out our salvation in union with the grace of God. And we have an angel at our side. You know how much God loves us? He not only gave us our, his son, but he gives us an angel to be at our side to guide us and to light the way to help us. For to his angels, he's given his command to guard you in all your ways. On their wings, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Well, yeah, but, but do we listen to the voice of our angel? The angel's telling us, God loves you. It's time to pray. While you're doing your work throughout the day, offer it to God as a gift. Jesus, for love of you, for the conversion of sinners and reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Make of everything an offering. You know, the church says in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the easiest way to pray always is to say Jesus with reverence, not as a curse word, not as an exclamation of surprise or fear. No, Jesus, his holy name, Jesus. To repeat his name often is the easiest way to pray always. And he commanded this. This is scriptural. Pray always. Everything you do, make of everything you do a prayer. Make of your work a prayer. In the morning, the morning offering. Oh, Jesus, through the immaculate heart of Mary and the faithful and compassionate heart of St. Joseph, I offer you all my prayers, works, joys, sorrows, and sufferings of this day. 
in union with your sacrifice, the holy sacrifice of the mass being celebrated throughout the world. No, we as Catholics don't believe that we're crucifying Jesus again. We believe that the victim who immolated himself, Jesus Christ, is no longer dying, but lives for all eternity, his act of immolated love. Why would we believe that? He can't suffer in heaven. Well, what, what, what do we see in Revelation 5? John is taken up to heaven, and he sees this throne room of God, and he sees, he's told the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered, and he turns around, what does he see? This is Revelation 5. He sees a lamb standing, looking as though it has been slain. Who was the lamb of God? Jesus. Remember John the Baptist? Look, there is the lamb of God, he points out. And Andrew and another one of John's followers follow Jesus. And Andrew goes and gets Peter and brings him to Jesus. Jesus is the lamb of God. And in heaven, the lamb still bears his scars. So for all eternity, the lamb stands before the father to offer his suffering. No, he's not continuing to suffer. But the, 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 the sacrifice he made once for all on Calvary, he offers continually to the father. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus is dressed as a priest when he talks to John in the very beginning and tells him, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the living one. I was dead, but now I live. He is a priest. He is the high priest. And he's continually offering this sacrifice. So on earth, when the holy sacrifice of the mass is offered, we don't believe we're crucifying Christ again. We believe that time and space no longer exist that we become true witnesses of that one eternal sacrifice that happened on Calvary in approximately 33 AD. Okay, we also believe that we are taken up with the angels and saints into heaven to witness his glorification in heaven. The entire Paschal mystery of Christ is presented to us. His passion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven and his glorification. This is the mass. Oh, my heavens. If you're distracted at mass, read the scriptures. Read the Last Supper. Read the book of Revelation. Read, you know, chapters 19. Read chapter 8, 20. Read chapter five, 4 and 5. Read what scripture says and meditate on that while you're at mass. The victim who immolated himself is now no longer dying, but lives for all eternity, that act of immolated love. Act of immolated love. The lamb who was slain still bears his scars, and he makes intercession before God for the saints. We're called to be those saints. We're called to be those saints. We're called to live in union with God. This is our calling. This is our dignity as human persons, by the way. This is the dignity, you know, as human persons, yes, we were made in God's image and that's awesome and beautiful. But even more than that, the second person of the blessed Trinity became man so that now the human nature that we have has been raised above the angels by nature. We're below the angels, but by grace, because the son of God became man, he raises our human nature above and beyond the angels so that we are called to be a living image of his son 
We're called to be a living image. Every human being was ever created. Every little baby that's ever conceived. No child can be conceived without God granting it because God, in order for someone to become human, (laughs) to become a living human person, they have to be infused with a human soul. And only God can infuse a fertilized egg with a human soul. Without the soul, there's no life because the soul is the life principle. That's how the church defines death is the separation of body and soul. We know death has taken place when rigor mortis sets in because then the soul has left the body. So the life principle comes from God. Only God can infuse a living soul into anyone. So only God can create a human being. And people who are trying to create hybrid humanity or um, you know, a, 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 a master race where we're, we're somehow beyond human nature, this beyond human now, or whatever they, they're, they're trying to do, they're playing God. And this is an affront to the dignity of the human person created in God's image, made for union with God and made to image the son of God. We're, we're called to build the kingdom of God on earth to be joyful in our union with God and to spread the news, the good news of his coming and his being with us. You know, the line of the tribe of Judah, Judah has conquered. Christ is victorious. He has come to establish his kingdom here on earth. Are we participating in his kingdom or are we tearing it down or trying to tear it down by our sins? So let us repent of our sins, go to confession on a frequent and regular basis Ask for more faith every day. Ask for more hope every day. Ask for a deeper trust in God who loves us and ask for a greater love. Ask God to share his love with us. St. Therese of Lezou prayed, My God, lend me your love with which to love you, that you may be loved as you deserve. And she also prayed, Jesus, lend me your heart with which to love my neighbor, that I may love my neighbor as you have commanded me. Because God commands us. Jesus commanded us to love our neighbor as he loved us. I hear that music again. We're coming up against a break. It's good to be with you. It's good to study our faith and to know our faith and to grow in our faith every day. And it's good to evangelize and tell others about the faith. Tell others the good news that we're called to live in union with God. Thank you for all of our supporters, for all the radio stations that pick up our signal, and for all of our listeners. God bless you. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January the 28th. The Feast of St. Thomas Aquinas, a great saint of the Catholic Church, a great lover of God, tremendous lover of God. Um, At one point in his life, he received a revelation and, and Jesus appeared to him and said, Thomas, you have written well of me. What do you want as a reward? And Thomas said, only you, Lord, only you. So we rejoice in the saints and we rejoice. It is God's work that we praise. When we, when we talk about the saints, we're praising God for the work of goodness and grace that he has wrought in their lives. Okay. It's not that we're raising the saints up as if they were gods. No, we're acknowledging the, what God is doing in their lives and what he wants to do in our lives, that he wants to draw us into union with himself. 
So we've talked about that and we want to go now. I want to do something. How can we do this? How can we live this joyful Christian life? Thomas Aquinas was a, a very joyful Christian. And um, the saints are joyful Christians. And we should be joyful Christians. It's one of the things I think we've lost in our 20th century, at least. And maybe it's because of all the, the horrors of the 20th century. We're, we're letting the joy slip away. We're, we're slipping into fear. We need to bring the joy back. So I know I've talked about the Psalms before, but I want to talk about them again. Last week, we looked at Psalm 91. Today, I want to look at some of the Psalms, um, Psalm 95, 96. And, and I encourage you to read these Psalms, Psalm 95, 96 through, you know, 100 and, you know, 101. They're joyful songs to the Lord. So in Psalm 95, it's, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So we're supposed to glorify God with our joy. We're supposed to rejoice. If we understand that God is good, that he is all powerful and he really is taking, he's really a good father who's taking care of us. That brings us great joy, even in the midst of suffering and strife. And that is what will bring others to Christ is joyfulness of them seeing the joy of the Lord in us. So let's ask the Lord to return this joy to us and let's pray these Psalms. You know, get your Bibles open, dust off the dust if they're dusty, you know, if you pray the office, pray these Psalms and, and rejoice in the Lord. Give glory to his holy name and bless his name. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all the gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the highest mountains as well. He made the sea and the dry land. It all belongs to him for he formed it. So come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Where do we get the idea that we should kneel before the Lord, our maker? <laughs> From the scriptures. <laughs> the angels fall prostrate. If you read through the scriptures and, and the prophets who had visions of heaven and and in the book of Revelations, the angels prostrate themselves before the Lord. The saints, you know, they bow down in worship. The, the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they bow down before God. We should bow down before God. He is our God. He is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. Harden not your hearts as at Meribah as at the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me and they put me to the proof, though they had seen all of my works. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said they are a people whose hearts err and they do not regard my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, they shall not enter into my rest. What's he referring there? He's referring to the Israelites in the desert when he took them out of Egypt and then he takes them and they're, oh, they're so happy to be free of Egypt and this is awesome. And they get to the Holy Land in short order, but they, they, send, they send the scouts out to reconnoiter the land and the scouts come back and are like, no, we can't take the land. It's the, the people who live in that land are giants. And Joshua and Caleb try and talk to the people and say, no, we can do this. The Lord said we can do this. The Lord will fight our battles. We have to go forward. We need to do this. 
But the people start crying out and they start, no, we can't do it. And oh, why did you lead us out here to die? And oh, blah, blah, and oh, blah, 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 blah. And so God says, fine. You spent 40 days reconnoitering the land. Since you won't trust me, since you rebel against me, I'll give you your wish. You can go back out into the desert for 40 years. One year for every day that you scouted the land because you won't trust me. So in our joy, let us trust in the Lord and renounce the fear. We don't need to live in fear. We need to live in joy and in the trust that we owe to God because he is our father and he is good. Psalm 96, I promised you more joy. <laughs> Psalm 95 adds on a kind of a hard note because, yeah, for if he, he was going to lead them into that. The, the, the whole generation that he led out of Egypt died in the desert except for Joshua and Caleb, because they were faithful to the Lord. Moses even died. He didn't get to go into the promised land. His patience was worn out by the people, and he, he, he lost for a moment. He lost his focus on God, and he was focusing on himself, and he disobeyed God. He struck the rock twice. So Psalm 96, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell his salvation day by day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Is the Bible saying there are other gods? No, but we tend to worship other gods. Hey, sometimes we set ourselves up as God, don't we? That's what we're doing right now in the world. Men are setting themselves up as God. They're saying, look, we call the shots. You need to obey us. You need to do what we say and forget about your conscience and forget about your religion and forget about what you think is true and good and right. And they're even, scientists are praying, oh my word, heavens to Murgatroyd, read Dignitatis Personae. It was published in 2008 by the, the um, Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. It is on the dignity of the human person, but it talks about some of the horrible things that science is doing right now because men think that they can play God, that they can create a new race of beings. It's science fiction. You know, it's, it's like it's, we have to stop. We need to turn back to God. We need to repent and pray and do penance. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. God is the source of all beauty and goodness. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Where did people get the idea that we're supposed to dress up for church? Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. But the first holy attire he desires is a heart that's clean of sin. But also we should clothe our bodies in a way that is worthy of the Lord. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord is established. The world, excuse me. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Equity is not equality. 
Equity is to give to a person according to their abilities or according to what they are called to, okay? Equity is not equality. The Lord will judge us with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar at all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the wood sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. God is so good. He is so awesome. He is so marvelous. He is so beyond. And he rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Rejoicing in the Lord must be your strength. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Cloud and thick darkness are round about him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes up before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lighten the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people behold his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. All gods bow down before him. Do you remember this in Samuel? I told you to read the book of Samuel last week. And when the, when Eli, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they take the Ark of the Covenant into battle with the Philistines and they lose the battle because they haven't been faithful to the Lord. And the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. And so they take, and this is, this is one of the readings, they take the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant back to their town and they put it in their temple. And the next morning, this false god that they worship is fallen down on the ground. And they're like, um, so they pick up the statue and put it back up. And the next morning, he's fallen down on the ground again. So they pick him up and put him up again. The next morning, he's fallen down on the ground, and this time his head and his arms are broken off. And they're like, uh, in the meantime, the people are all getting sick. You know, so they send the ark, you know, they, they send it to another town, and the same thing happens. So they send it back to Israel. <laughs> but you see the God, because those are false gods. And even the demons have to acknowledge God is God. And remember, the demons are not gods. The demons are creatures. <laughs> they're fallen angels who sinned who sinned against God. Beg God not to be deceived by the demons, but to live in the freedom that God has won for you. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of thy judgments, O God. For thou, O Lord, art most high over all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all the gods. The Lord loves those who hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Praise God. Let us praise God together. In these trying times that we live in, in these times of confusion, remember, let us praise the Lord our God and give him glory and thanks and praise. Thank you, all of those of you who support Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Please tell all your friends and neighbors about this. Pass it on. Share it. Let people know that we're there. Um, we're there for you. We want to be built up in the Lord and to share the faith with one another. 
We thank all of those of you who pray for us and offer your suffering to us. That is so powerful. And we do pray for you, those of you who ask for our prayers. You are in our prayers. We are praying for you and lifting you up in prayer to the Lord. So praise the Lord our God. Give glory to his holy name. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice.